You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. What's going on, guys? We are starting a brand new series entitled Detours. We're going to look at the life of Joseph found in the book of Genesis. One of the reasons, the primary reason that this is called Detours is that Joseph's life is full of ups and downs and twists and turns, all kinds of things that go on in his life. And I think that there's a lot of things in the life of Joseph that we can identify with, that our life might not be quite as dramatic as Joseph's, hopefully, but uh, we all experience the good and the bad and everything in between. And so we're going to look at the story of Joseph uh, over the next month and and pull out some different things. And where we're going to start is at the very beginning of the story where Joseph is introduced and kind of how everything gets set into motion. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 37. And we're going to start right at the beginning. And that's uh, verses 1 and 2. It says this. It says, Jacob, this is Joseph's father, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Balah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. So the first point this week is this, is that God uses normal people. God uses normal people. Joseph was 17 years old, and the author of Genesis wants to make it really, really clear. Joseph was a snitch. Like, he was just a 17-year-old kid who was hanging out with his brothers, working with his brothers, who have different mothers than him. There's there's a wild family dynamic that we'll get into over the next month. But it, the first thing that it says about Joseph is that he brings a bad report to his father. He tattles on his brother. And I think it's important to point out the basic humanity of Joseph before we point out the, all the ways that God will use him and all the ways that Joseph is faithful and all the, the good that Joseph does. We still have to understand that he was just a human being. Too often we believe that, that people in the Bible are inhuman when God does incredible things through them. Even now today, we see God do incredible things through people, and we think that there's something different about them, something different in their DNA. And, and there are definitely decisions that we make throughout our lives that maybe make us more open to what God wants to do in our life. But we have to understand that there is not a single person recorded throughout Scripture outside of Jesus that was perfect. God uses normal and often really, really broken people to complete the work that he has set in motion. It's just so important that we understand before we start any of the story that we understand that God's hand is on all people. He is the one writing the grand story. We just get to be lucky enough to play a part in it. What makes us each one of What makes each one of us worthy characters in the story is the one who created us in the first place. He is the one who makes us worthy. We do not earn our role in the story. It's a gift given to us. The story goes on to say this in verse 3. It says, Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a long-sleeved robe for him. Now, this is really important that we understand that Jacob played favorites. Jacob played favorites. A long-sleeved robe, often called the coat of many colors, if you watch the cartoon or if you read the story, even later on in this passage or this chapter, it calls it the coat of many colors. But but here the author makes it really clear that it was a long-sleeved robe, and it signified a position of status. Workers wore short sleeves. The elite wore long sleeves long sleeves the the supervisors wore long sleeve he was the youngest and that did not sit well with his family or line up with his culture in fact 
it, it was really outside of the norm to, to favor the youngest instead of the firstborn. So you have all of his other sons who probably had short sleeve robes because they were workers and shepherds and they were out doing the work. And Joseph gets a long sleeve robe that, that signifies that he is the favorite. Jacob was completely naive to the truth that what he was communicating to one son sent a much more powerful message to the rest of his children. For us, would it serve as a reminder that, that we communicate to people on individual levels, but when we communicate to someone personally, what we communicate to someone personally will usually simultaneously communicate something communally. What we communicate individually will communicate something communally. That, that we want to become people where we have people who are close to us and we can say like this guy's like one of my best friends and, and we can have people that we do life with that we don't do life with like that with other people. It doesn't mean that all people need to be treated the exact same in our sphere, but it does mean that we need to understand that when we communicate somebody's worth, we're also communicating to other people whether they are worthy or not. And if we only favor one or two people, what we're communicating to everyone else is that they are less than. And as followers of Jesus, we can we can speak worth and life and truth into people's lives while also making room for other people to know that they are loved by us too. We cannot become people who play favorites. The story goes on to say this in verses 4 through 11. It says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There were binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is that that you had? Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now there's a couple human elements that present themselves in this passage. And, and the first one is this pride. I think it'd be really easy for us to look over Joseph, look over Joseph's pride in the story. Oh, oh, he was just communicating a dream that he had, but it's important that we recognize a couple things here. One, culturally, dreams were taken very, very serious, seriously. It was not the same as you and I thinking that whatever we ate for dinner last night like really jacked up our dreams. No, this was something where if you were willing to speak a dream to other people, it meant that you believed that there was some validity to it. And there's something that the culture would be like, wow, that's wild. Like we need, we need to like really pay attention to the dream. So when Joseph is communicating this, it isn't just like, isn't this crazy? Like I just thought about my girlfriend from second grade. I haven't thought about her in 15 years. Like that's wild. Like that is not the type of dream that we're talking about. There is something substantial to the dream. And if you know the story of Joseph, you know that these dreams are going to come true. But it's important that we understand that in that moment, a 17-year-old kid goes to his family and says, listen to this dream I had. You're all going to bow down to me. There's pride that is happening there. Joseph knew his standing with his father. He was old enough to understand that these dreams would not go over well with his older brothers, and yet he approached them and told them anyway. And I think for us, we would, would we be reminded that pride can sneak into our lives in the smallest of ways, and it can cause pain, and it can cause disruption, and it can be intended, and it can be unintended, but pride always presents itself. We have to fight against it. Now, 
we, we don't have time to get super deep into the fact that there's probably healthy pride that's rooted in being proud of what you're doing and, and proud of what you've been created to be. But when we're addressing pride this week in this story, we're talking about the type that entangles us to the point of becoming self-centered and arrogant. That type of pride is to be avoided at every single turn. Well, what healthy pride is found in being who God has called you to be and just following the path that he set out in front of you and be like, I I didn't do this and I did do this. I'm really proud that I made that decision. That's, that's healthy pride. Pride, unhealthy pride is rooted in I'm better than you. I would never do that. I would never do this. Pride is I, I'm more capable, all of those things. And in this moment, I don't think that Joseph fully understood his dreams. And I think it's easy to say that he probably had a little bit of unhealthy 17-year-old pride in this moment. And yet God, like we've said before, uses him in mighty, mighty ways. The The second human tendency, and this is where we're going to primarily spend the rest of our time, is envy. <laughs> envy. Verse 4 says that Joseph's brothers could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him, most likely because they were annoyed and frustrated by him, but also because they wished that their father loved them like he loved Joseph. They desperately wanted the love that their father had for Joseph in their own lives. Part of the brokenness of this fallen world is that we can simultaneously despise something and want it too, right? Our lives can be full of areas where we should know better or they should know better, but but we, we can simultaneously hold these tensions of like, they shouldn't be doing that and I, I want that too. And I've loved Jesus my entire life, but I have not always loved the life that Jesus has called me to. Sometimes I wish I wasn't following Jesus so that I would have permission in my own mind to do certain things. And I've failed more than I've succeeded in my life. And one of the, the areas that I know that, that uh, I failed is when I was a junior in high school, I, I remember my friends getting into relationships, serious relationships. Some not so serious relationship, but they started to like sleep with their girlfriends and, and I had friends that were sleeping with their boyfriends. And I was this Christian kid who was just like sitting back and being like, I can't believe that they would do that. I would I, I was so judgmental. And simultaneously I was so jealous. I was so I was a seventeen year old boy, just like Joseph. And I had desires and I had wants and I had an unhealthy view of what sexuality was and all of these different things. So I, I in this tension of my life, I, I was judgmental of people who were doing the thing that I wanted to do. The thing that I was jealous of of, the thing that I was envious of. And what happened in that moment is that envy weakened the areas where I worked so hard to stay faithful to who God had called me to be. And when I got into a serious relationship with, with my now wife as a 17-year-old kid, all of the things that I was envious of, I now had an opportunity to do. And because I had let envy take root, I did the things that I swore I wouldn't do. You see, envy will break down the walls that we have built to reinforce the areas of our lives that we have been like, no, I'm going to be strong in these areas. But when we're envious of other people and then we get opportunity to take advantage of that envy that we have had for so long, we usually make the wrong decisions. So let's avoid envy at every single turn. What I'd like to do is read the rest of the story and then walk through how envy manifested in different areas and how it affected everyone involved in the story. And I'm going to read the entirety of the rest of the story. Uh, it's, it's 24 verses. So buckle up. It's a lot of scripture. Um, and then we're going to just point out a few things and then we'll wrap it up. So verse 12 says this. It says, his brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending them to you. I'm ready, Joseph replied. 
Then Israel said to him, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the Hebron Valley and he went to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they're pasturing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes the dream expert. So now come on, let's kill him and throw him into the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood, throw him into his pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them when he returned to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors, there it is, that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. They sat down at the to eat a meal. When they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, basalm, and resin going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Oh, all of a sudden, they have a conscience. Like, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Uh, and his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for the 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat and dipped the robe in blood. They sent, they sent the long sleeved robe to their father and said, we found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? I wonder if there was maybe a little bit of sarcasm there. Hey, Dad, you know that long sleeve robe you made Joseph, the one that told all of us that he was your favorite? Is that his? That happened to be his? Oh, shoot. Shoot, that is his robe. His father recognized it. It is my son's robe. He said, a vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards. The first point is this. Internal envy can lead to external harm. Internal envy can lead to external harm. Joseph's brothers plotted to kill him. L luckily, quote unquote, luckily, they just decided to throw him in a cistern and then sell him into slavery. What we have to understand is that if we let envy consume us, it will eventually be expressed externally. And that can lead to harm in our lives and the lives of those that we love or the lives of those that we're envious of. But we are kidding ourselves if we don't believe that the envy inside of us will not manifest externally. Eventually, it will do something in our lives and it won't do anything good. And here's the thing. Usually envy is at its worst when it's between people who are close to one another. Like, sure, you, you might be envious of the millionaire athlete or actress and their lifestyle, but there's something that reminds us that that life is pretty impractical. Like, it's it's pretty rare to be a multi-multi-multi-millionaire or to be famous where everybody in the world would know you if you walked down the street. And so, like, yeah, you're like, oh, man, like, it would be so cool to be a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, great. But there's still a part of us that's like, but probably not, right? It's when someone who you know has what you do not it's when someone you know is becoming the person that you wish that you were becoming or that you desire to be. Family and friends are often the object of our envy, which also leads to them being the object of our frustration. 
And when we do not get a hold of our internal envy, it can manifest in external ways and we hurt the people that we love because of the way that we speak and the way that we act and the way that we abandon, all of those different things. Our envy leads to something external. There were most likely plenty of people in the brothers' lives that that were considered the favorites in their own worlds, but that didn't make them want to kill them. They wanted to kill Joseph because he was the favorite in their own sphere of influence. He was close to them. He was their flesh and blood, and they were envious of him and expressed itself. It manifested itself in in an external way where they're like, let's kill him, and then they think of it better, and they're like, well, let's just sell him into slavery so he has a terrible life. Like, this is what happens when envy takes root. Our brokenness is often at its most obvious when it shows up in our closest relationships. And that type of pain can also be the worst type of pain when people that are close to you hurt you. And we are guilty of that and, and people are guilty of doing that to us. And it, we need to then be people who, who address envy and jealousy very, very intentionally and say, I will not let this ruin the relationships that mean so much to me. The next point is this, is that envy can be generational. It's important to point out that Jacob, in his own youth, stole the blessing of his own father from his brother. If you don't know that story, go back. It's kind of a wild story, but go back. Read the story of Jacob and Esau. It's so important. He plotted. He plotted to steal his brother's blessing, and then his sons plotted to kill their brother. They inherited a spirit of deceit. And Jacob should have known better than to pit his offspring against one another, but Broken people do broken things. And we need to remember that we have been affected by those who have come before us, and we have the opportunity to affect those that are coming next. And this could apply to whatever type of community we find ourselves in. It doesn't just have to be our parents and what we inherit from them and then what we pass on to our kids. It can be so much more than that. It can be the people who have walked out in the church before us and the people who are coming up in the church behind us, right? Like there, there are all of these different things in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our families, all of these different things. We have opportunities to recognize how we have been affected and then how we are intentionally affecting the people coming after us. We need to understand that if envy is a heart issue, but we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that others can't see it. And when other people see envy in our lives, if you, if you have a position of influence and they see envy in your life, they will envy. When you look at someone who you love and you respect and you admire, and envy is a regular part of their life you make excuses to have envy in yours too we have to we have to have inward and outward intentionality when it comes to being people who avoid envy proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 incredible verse says this a tranquil heart is life to the body but jealousy is rotten to the bones and i would say this a tranquil heart is life to your body if you have peace and you get rid of envy in your own spirit it will be it will be life to your body But a tranquil heart in your life will be life to the body of Christ. And jealousy will rot us to the bones. And if we live in a world that has jealousy, if we become people in the church who are run by envy and jealousy, it will rot the bones of the church. So yes, a tranquil heart is life to our body, but it is life to the body. And jealousy is rotten to our bones, but it is also rotten to the bones of the body of Christ. Let us be individually and collectively people who create life-giving paths, not ones that lead to death and decay. Lastly, envy will lead to hardened hearts. Envy will lead to hardened hearts. For their whole lives up to this point, the brothers were bitter and envious of Joseph. Even if he would have apologized for how he handled certain parts, I wonder, would they have listened? And we'll never know because they sold him. (laughs) They broke off relationship. 
A few chapters later, which is actually 20 years of their life, the brothers speak directly to their regret of what they did to Joseph. Envy can lead to in-the-moment split decisions that will lead to a lifetime of regret. And there are relationships in our own lives that we have completely bailed on for lots of different reasons, but envy is definitely one of the reasons that we step away from relationship. And our goal as followers of Jesus should always to be people who have soft hearts. Not hardened hearts, but we have soft hearts, people who are willing to lean back in. And whether it's envy or anything else, would we always be willing to step back in and do the hard work of tilling the soil of our own lives? It doesn't mean we lose all discernment. Some relationships some relationships aren't meant to be. Some relationships are super unhealthy. Some people are really toxic. It doesn't mean that we just open ourselves up to hurt and pain, but it does mean that we open up ourselves to the leading of Jesus in all things and in all relationships. That we don't let envy and jealousy kill relationship, break off relationships, avenue of communication and influence because we don't like that they have what we don't have, or we don't like the way that they offended us this one time. Like we have to be people who say, Lord, I'm really frustrated. Would you tell me how to handle this relationship? And God might give you full permission to say, they'll be all right, step away. But we also have to say, I'm not going to let my own human envy and my own human jealousy and my own human emotion drive me away from a relationship when God has asked me to lean back in. As followers of Jesus, we are called to tear down walls that separate us, not burn bridges that connect us. We might not ever sell someone into slavery. I hope we don't ever sell someone into slavery. But we've all given up on relationships in our own way. And I think Jesus wants to remind us, the walls that people build up, the walls that you build up, tear those things down and be in relationship with people that you agree with, people that you disagree with, people that are like you, people that are unlike you. Build bridges. Don't burn them down. Don't burn them down. So let's be people who avoid envy. Let's be people who avoid bitterness. Let's be people who avoid jealousy. And build up bridges, not burn them down. Envy is our enemy. Let us be people who do whatever it takes to make sure that it never, ever wins. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.